0: much. It, it is just such a treat this year to be able to begin with um, singing songs of praise and uh, ending that way as a response. I just, I really appreciate um, your coming. Thank you so much. I do have a couple of, uh, just a little bit of housekeeping that I need to take care of before we get into our lesson this morning. Um, first of all, small group. Um Jamie is not going to be here this morning. Um, and so if you're in Jamie's group, I think I've set up enough chairs. Just join another group for this morning. But if you would turn your homework in to me. She has that I collect it, and then I'll make sure that she gets it. Okay? And then, um, uh-oh, is Caitlin here? No. Um, If you're in Suzanne's group, why don't you give me your homework, too, and I'll make sure that I get it to her. Uh, Suzanne had a dear, dear friend who passed away, and so um, they're leaving this morning for the service. All right, go ahead and take out your chart from last week. And if you didn't get one, um, I hope you picked one up this morning. And we're going to continue to look at our lesson on gospel implications for the heart. So last week we saw the things that that were true about us before Christ, what is true of the unregenerate man, and then we looked at the event of conversion and all of those gospel benefits and positional realities. And so, what were some of those gospel benefits? This is how we're going to review this morning. So, look at your chart if you need to, if you remember any of them. From, uh, just from memory, go ahead and just shout them out. If you need to look at the chart, go ahead. But what were some of those gospel benefits that we looked at last week? Peace, peace with God, okay? And that is a gift, right? We're no longer enemies of Him. We actually can live at peace with God. Adoption. He is our Abba Father. That's who we talk to when we pray. It's who, when we open our Bibles. That's who we fellowship with. What a privilege! We're no longer under darkness. Right. We're no longer under darkness, but we live in the light. And we're going to look a little bit more at that today. Thanks, Missy. Anyone? Anyone else? We're we are declared righteous absolutely anyone else what about some of those long words maybe that were new to some of you you can cheat propitiation and what does that mean that's okay look at your chart what does propitiation mean God's wrath is satisfied and why is that Who satisfied God's wrath? Jesus. Jesus. Instead of it being placed on us, it was placed on Jesus in our place. I I hope that you will take out this chart often and that you will look at those um, gospel benefits. And I hope that as you look at them, that it'll individually that it will make you more and more thankful for the gift of salvation. I know for me, I can look at salvation as a big picture, and I'm thankful that God saved me. But when I look at each one of these, very specifically that he saved me from, the gifts that I now have because of Christ's work on the cross, my thankfulness just increases as I dwell on each one of those. And so that's why we've invested in this kind of a brochure. And so please take it out. Use it in your devotion time, in your time with the Lord, and let it be a, a tool for you to be able to thank God for his amazing gift to you in the gospel. So now we get to move on and look at the gospel's implications for who we are now as new as a new creation. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for me, this was a long time ago when God saved me, um, I I understood that I had forgiveness from all of my past sins. Everything I did, everything I was because of Christ. And I knew that when I died, or if, if if I were to be raptured, Because of Christ's work on the cross, that I would live eternally with Jesus. Okay, I I got those two things. So I knew that the gospel saved me from my past and that the gospel secured my future. But what I didn't understand was that the gospel has an enormous impact on my, on my life every single day in between those two events. It took me time to be in God's word, to see that the gospel's work in me, that gave me a new identity, that took me out of that unregenerate condition and made me a new creation in Christ, that gospel also provided for me a new way to live in Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's look at that third column, new creation. Now usually when we say something new, we think about something that's clean, something spotless. If I have a new refrigerator delivered to my house, I know it's going to be delivered smelling new, being clean, never have been u- been used before. They peel that outer layer off, that plastic off, and there are no scratches, no fingerprints. It's new. Anyone, anyone else had that experience or something else? Okay, but that is not what we mean about when we're talking about new, when we talk about the new creation. What makes us new is that we are no longer what we were. Okay, the old isn't what it once was. The old is gone. We can never go back to being an unregenerate woman because of what Christ did for us. So I think it'll help if you look um, at those figures up at the top, right in the middle. And again, remember, for those of you who weren't here last week, these three figures right here really would have been best centered over new creation. Okay, So so look at those three figures this morning. Um, And you'll see that they change from being a mixed gray. Okay, it's no longer completely gray. That's only the unregenerate man. man. Okay, but they moved from that mixed gray over to becoming more yellow as you move to the right. And that represents the process of sanctification as we are being conformed into the image of Christ. Then I want you to look down in the blue section where it says new creation. And you'll see that here we're talking about progressive sanctification. Remember last week under the event section, we looked at positional sanctification where God once and for all in an event makes us holy in his sight. But today we're going to be looking at progressive sanctification in which we participate day by day. Unlike positional sanctification uh, sanctification, which has only one set of fingerprints on it. And whose set of fingerprints are those? God's. Today, we're going to look at progressive sanctification that has two sets of fingerprints. And those are God's and ours. Right. Because we participate in this mixed condition. When God saves us out of that unregenerate state, he gives us many new strengths. These are new abilities and desires and motivations in the believer. Unregenerate man um, before Christ had no ability or, or no desire for these things. But believers are in the process of growing in holiness. And we also participate in this process of growing in holiness and becoming more like Christ. So let's look at who we are as a new creation living in this mixed condition. So I want, to, I want us to look together at a passage in Colossians 3, so I'd like for you to turn with me there. Um, Colossians 3 talks a- about this new self or this new creation. And so we're going to walk through this passage, and then we'll get back to the chart. So Colossians 3 shows us how we are to live as new creations. In fact, this passage contains elements of every single section on our chart. And as I went over this several times this week... Uh, And I saw that, I I just was reminded, and I would encourage you, that when you open your Bibles, when you are reading, that you stop and you think about what condition the author is speaking about. Because I know for me, it really helps me to know how to respond to what I've just read. Do I respond in thankfulness to what God has done in the past? Or do I need to be challenged? Is there a command in there that I need to look at in which I participate? So is it something I'm thankful for that God did, or is it something I need to take note because I need to participate in this? So I just encourage you as you read the Bible that you would you'd think in those ways. So let's begin in verse one of Col- of Colossians three. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, okay, that's describing our union with Christ in His resurrection. So that's a, a conversion event. He says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. He's talking about how we are to discipline the way that we think so that we live in light of the gospel, which is a new ability that we didn't have before the event of conversion. And then he tells us why. He says, for the old self has died. Again, that's everything that we saw over on the left-hand column. That side, that everything that is there is dead. He says, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And that's what we're going to be talking about when we go to, over to the right-hand section of the chart, when we get to the glorification section. Then look at verse 5. He says, Therefore, consider. That's the command. Consider. And that's an ongo- ongoing command for those who are new creations. Consider the members of your body as dead immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires and greed, which amounts to idolatry. The old self is dead, so as a new creation, we are to consider the members of our body and remember, what is that? What are our members? Our hands, our minds, our mouths, our feet, okay. All of that, our members are dead to that kind of thinking and living. Now look at verse 8. But now you also put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Why? Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. Okay, there he's speaking about the re- what we looked at last week as the response section in the conversion event, okay? We laid aside the old self and we put on the new self when God regenerated us and enabled us to respond to the gospel's call, okay? And then he says the new self, verse 10 is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And then verse 11 talks about there being no distinctions for those who are now in Christ. So if you are a new creation in Christ, you are being renewed. You're being transformed into God's image. And you are in a battle against sin which is why we've been commanded to put off sin. And then verse 12 says, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and it continues on through the rest of the book book with instructions for believers. So believers are in a daily battle because of who they are in Christ, a new creation. We're in a battle to put off sin and to put on holiness and godliness. So just from this passage, we see, first of all, the event of conversion. Verse 3 says, you have died. Verse 9, the old self was laid aside and the new self has been put on. And then verse 12 also describes conversion event realities. God chose us and declared us to be holy and beloved. And then beginning in verse 12, excuse me, verse 10, we see our mixed condition. We see that the new self is being renewed. We are becoming more like our creator. And that is a process. It's ongoing. We are in a renewable condition. And in light of all of this, we have commands, instructions. We just saw that we're to keep seeking the things above, where Christ is. Verse 2, we're to set our mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Verse 5, we're to consider the members of our body as dead to sin. Verse 8, we're to put aside sin. Verse 12, we're to put on a heart of compassion. And then all of those other things that he tells us to put on. And these commands reveal two things. First of all, they reveal what this new creation has been designed for. We have been designed for a life of holiness. We've been designed to love God and to obey him and to love our neighbor and to put aside any residue that remains from the old self. And then the second thing these commands revealed is that we are still in a battle with sin. We don't automatically know how we should live. And we certainly don't automatically live that way when we're placed in this condition. New Testament commands reveal new abilities that we have as believers. And I think it's, I need to remember that these commands are for believers. Because we're the only ones who have the ability to obey them, right? Right? And these commands also reveal potential areas of weakness. They show us that residue from the old man that needs to be put off. And that is why we call this the mixed condition. We're nothing like we were, and yet we're not yet what we will be. We are in the process of sanctification And it's a process in which we participate. So you'll see on the chart that we've broken it down into strengths and weaknesses that we now have as new creations in Christ. So let's look at some of those strengths. Again, these describe new abilities and desires for the believers. So the first thing that you see in your chart is that we are now able to grow in respect to salvation through the Word. 1 Peter 22, 2.2 gives us the command to long for the Word so that by it we might grow in respect to salvation. That's why discipline number one is all about shepherding our hearts with the Word of God. The more we discipline ourselves to be in the Word, the more we will long for it. And then next on the chart, you see obedience. First John 14:21, Jesus says, "He who has my commands, commandments, and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him." So God has not only called us to obey. But through the gospel, he has also enabled us to obey. He set us free from the slavery to sin, all that we saw on the left-hand side of the chart. Obedience is evidence that we are born again. It's the fruit of the gospel's work in a heart. And we see from, from John 14 that obedience shows our love for Jesus And it is how we participate in our sanctification. Again, and it's all because the gospel has transformed us. That's why Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul, in asking the question this way, is stating the obvious. No, we don't obey by the flesh. We obey as ones who are alive in Christ, in whom God's Spirit now actually dwells. And we know that from Romans 8-9. God has equipped us to participate in this process by obeying the New Testament commands. But I feel like we have to stop and remind ourselves that we want to obey with the right motive. We don't ever want to think about obedience as some some kind of works-oriented view of righteousness. These commands were never designed to be something that we obey apart from Christ or in our flesh. That's what what, uh, Paul was telling the Galatian church. No, we obey because of what God has already done. That's why we find that commands to believers are embedded with gospel declarations reminding us of who we are because of the gospel. We are new creations who have been given the ability and the desire to obey. Okay? So we don't we want to obey with the right motive. But at the same time, we don't want to take these commands lightly there can be areas in our life where we can become lazy and we can just become comfortable with disobedience. Okay, And so we have to be careful with the way that we think, the way that we look at these commands. I think sometimes it's easy in an area that's hard for us to allow ourselves to think we can't obey. When in reality, we won't obey. We have hearts that are unwilling to obey in that area. We can think it's too hard. But that's not what God's word says. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Remember, we're in a new condition we now have the ability to resist sin. So let's look at just a few more of these strengths. Hebrews 6.10 talks about believers who are known for their love for God. You see that on your charts. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered to the saints. And so here we see another way that love for God is intertwined with obedience. When we feed our love for God, our obedience grows. Because it's hard to love something that the one you worship hates. It's much easier to battle sin when we love and adore the one who hates that sin and who died for it. So I hope that that's helping to give you a fresh understanding of the gospel's continued work in our lives. Not only in the event of conversion, not only to secure our future, but also in giving us new abilities to participate in the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus now, every single day in between. God, in his grace, gives us the ability to love him as those who love God. So we can, and again, you'll see these on your chart, because he has given us the ability to love him, we can now love our neighbor and our enemy. We can forgive. We can be thankful. We can repent. We can lay aside falsehood and speak truthfully. We can be diligent. We can be humble. Before, we couldn't. We could never obey the way this way before Christ. But now we can. Why? Because he has made us into something brand new that we never were before. When we understand that, We no longer obey him out of fear of punishment or to get something that we want. I don't know about you, but that's the way I used to obey. But rather, we can obey now because we know God. And we know that it's right for him to rule our lives. Because we know that God has made us new creations who want to please him. We can obey because he's given us his Holy Spirit to live inside us. Are you beginning to better understand what those three figures at the top of the chart represent? See, when we first get saved, we look a little bit more like the one on the left, a little bit more gray, like that figure. Um, And then as we grow in Christ. We're becoming more and more like Jesus because we're growing more and more in holiness. We're doing different things with our outer members than we did before as our inner man is being renewed. Second Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, do not lose heart, for though our outer man is decaying, again, that's the physical part of us, Our inner man is being renewed day by day. This mixed condition is a renewable condition. That condition over on the left-hand side of your chart could never be renewed as it was. There was nothing to renew because it was dead. But this new creation needs to be renewed. Not remade, but renewed. And that renewal is a process. So I don't know if there's anyone here who's a brand new believer. And maybe you look at that chart and you go, I look so much more like that guy over on the left-hand side, the figure who's mostly gray. And what I really want is to look like so many of you that I see over on the right-hand side. If that's you, I just want to encourage you I don't want you to become discouraged because you need to remember that this is a process. God is faithful. He will conform you into the image of Jesus. But we also need to remember that this is a process in which we do participate in that renewal. And remember, it says day by day. And we need to remember that when we're shepherding our children, or in really in any of the relationships that we have with one another or those in our body. Believers all have the same righteousness. And whose righteousness is that? It's Christ's righteousness. We add nothing to it. So we're all the same in that manner. And when we treasure that, then we will rejoice in every bit of evidence that we see of God's grace in renewing others. And so we can rejoice with them. We can encourage them when we see that work of God's grace in their life. And I hope that you'll we'll do that. Okay, now let's look at the weaknesses section. Remember when we looked at Colossians 3, I made the point that the New Testament commands revealed two different things. The first was new abilities New desires for the believer. And then the second is weaknesses, areas where we need to be warned. Following Christ is not always easy, is it? Obedience sometimes can be difficult. It can be a fight to get into God's Word and to obey it and to grow in holiness because we are weak and sometimes we can get so weighed down by our weaknesses so discouraged that we can get stuck there and we can think God saved me why should I have such a struggle with sin anyone else ever felt that way I have or the opposite can happen we can actually become numb to our weaknesses. And we then can um, become lazy and not be intentional and faithful about battling those weaknesses and battling against those sins in our lives. And we know, right, we know that both of those ways of thinking are wrong. So how should we view our weaknesses in light of our mixed condition? You know what? We should actually be encouraged by them. The fact that we can battle sin should be reassuring to us. Again, remember, we had no desire to battle sin before we were saved. We had no desire to seek God. But now we do. And so we need to understand our weaknesses so that we can respond to them biblically with the gospel and with all of the tools that God has given us for fighting sin and for growing in holiness. So as we look at these weaknesses on the chart, it's so important that we remember what we have already seen. We have a positional righteousness by faith that never changes these weaknesses that we're going to look at can never cancel what God has already done for us in salvation. Isn't that great to remember? And they cannot cancel the enabling grace that God has given us to participate in our sanctification. In fact, weaknesses, again, should really make us all the more thankful for what God has already done for us in the gospel. So let's look at the first one on, our, on the chart. Being deceived. Listen to Colossians 2.8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. See, Paul had to warn the Colossian believers not to be deceived. They weren't immune to deception just because they were new creations. And you know what? We aren't either. The world's way of thinking, the world's principles, the world's traditions can be captivating. They tend to draw us in. And Paul says that Paul says that needs to that we need to be battling against that. We need to be guarding against those things in a very intentional way. He says see to it that this doesn't happen to you. Now listen to how Peter tells us to fight. In 1 Peter 1:13, he says prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do when we meet with God as we open up our Bibles. No matter where we're reading in the scriptures, we can look at what it says about God and what it says about his character and what it says about sin, what it says about those who love God and those who don't. And we need to take the truth of God's word and use it to prepare our mind for action so that we aren't taken captive by worldly thinking and ideas. So in addition to these warnings against being deceived, unfortunately we see many others on our chart. Galatians, warns us against legalism. You see that there on the chart? And abusing freedom. 1 John 2 warns believers against loving the world. In 2 Peter 2, believers are warned against false teachers. Hebrews 12 tells us that we can be hindered or entangled by sin. See, sin only knows how to dominate us. As long as we are in this mixed condition, it will always seek to entangle us or to hinder our walk with Christ. And then you'll see that the letters to the churches in Revelation show us people in the church who left their first love, the love that they had for Jesus, who were involved in immorality, who were self-confident, And proud. Again, do you see why we must shepherd our hearts? Why we discipline ourselves to get out of bed in the morning or find another time to open our Bibles and to pray? This is why the cry of our heart must be God, I need you desperately. I have your word open so that I can draw near to you. I need you today. Is that how you think in the morning? Or do you think you can fight these things in your flesh? We were just reminded we can't. And so we need to plead with God. Because we are weak. Sin can make our heart, our inner man, grow cold. It can make us grow unresponsive. To Jesus, It can never turn us back into that unregenerate woman, but we can become indifferent to Christ if we do nothing. If we do nothing, we're not going to stay the same. It doesn't work that way. It's like swimming upstream. You stop when you swim upstream. What happens? Do you stay where you are? No, you go backwards. You drift. If we do nothing with our hearts, ladies, we will drift into coldness. We will become indifferent to sin. And the next thing you know, we're entangled with sin. And when someone comes and tries to talk to us about it, we'll become defensive about our sin. Ladies, we need to be reminded that this is, can happen to us. And so we must fight. We fight to shepherd our hearts every day. We get up and we remind ourselves of what God has done for us in the gospel. We remind ourselves of what we once were and we remind ourselves that we need to be renewed. And we pray. We pray, God, make my heart warm toward you today. We must labor to pursue Jesus so that our relationship with him will grow more intimate so that we will have the mind of Christ, so that we'll grow in holiness and become more and more obedient That is how the gospel is to impact our life every single day. Now, let's look at the very bottom of this column and let's summarize some of the key descriptions of this new condition. We've seen that this is a mixed condition in which we fight against sin and we fight for Jesus. grow in our love for him and in our devotion to him and then you see another key description of the new creation is that we can still easily get entangled by sin i don't know about you but that's a that is a disturbing word to me easily but i know that it's true because god's word says that it's true Being, uh, but being entangled by sin, I think this is really important that we stop and remember this. Being entangled by sin is not the same thing as being enslaved to sin or being under sin's dominion. Okay, we can get entangled and we do, but when we do, unlike when we were in that unregenerate condition, now we can lay aside that sin and we can be set free from that entanglement. And then the next description of our new condition is that we are now enslaved to God. Remember, we have a new master. We're enslaved to righteousness, and we are enslaved to obedience. And you see, the next description of our new condition is that we are now able to Shepherd our heart away from sin and to God. Again, we are in a renewable condition. So, why is this new creation so mixed? Have you ever wondered that? We are so lavishly loved in the gospel, we are so completely transformed. That no part of that unregenerate woman remains. The old is gone as God looks at us. And yet, we are so very weak. We are so prone to sin. We're so prone to wander. So why didn't God save us out of that unregenerate state and just place us right into glorification, the one that you see on the very right-hand side? Have you ever wondered that? God tells us why. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, and let's look at verses 6 and 7. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. He's referring to Genesis 1, Creation. So in other words, he's saying the creator is the one who has shown in our hearts. Why? To give us the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. He's talking about what God does through the gospel at conversion. Now look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Okay, we are earthen vessels... With a treasure inside. And that is a mixed condition. Before we were just earthen vessels. But now we're earthen vessels with a treasure inside. Now why did God do it this way? Let's keep reading in verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of from ourselves. See God has designed it this way to display the surpassing greatness of his power. God in his holiness, in his glory, determined that in saving us, that he would put us in this mixed condition where we still sin so that we will draw near to him and so that we'll depend on him and that we will battle sin and say no to sin and repent when we do sin so that his power is seen in a way that it never would have been had he saved us straight into glory. Now, God didn't do this. He didn't work salvation this way to make life more difficult for us. No, he did it to make life better for us. The fact that we are fighting against sin shows us that we acknowledge how badly we need Jesus. And that's so much better than when we couldn't see our need for him at all. Right? Do you appreciate that? And when we didn't even want to fight against sin... In the midst of battling sin, we can actually be encouraged that we are battling it. And God is using this battle to make us more like his son. The fight is the evidence of new life. Remember, there was no battle before Christ. God put us in a condition that needs to be renewed because it gives him the opportunity to display the surpassing greatness of his power as we battle sin. And a part of what motivates us to display the greatness of his power, to participate in this process of sanctification, is knowing what is to come. So let's look at what we have to look forward to. That's the very last column, glorification we will one day live in another unmixed condition when we die or when we are raptured okay notice that in that glorification section that the figures at the top are completely yellow we will be in an unmixed sinless condition Death, and then you'll see in that glorification column that death is gain; that to die is to be with Christ. It's to be at home with the Lord. And then after we die, you'll see that there's a resurrection, and we will receive glorified bodies. Or if we get to, if we're one of those who are living when Christ returns. And we get to skip death, and we go straight into receiving a glorified body. That's what First Thessalonians four, three through eighteen describes. The word rapture refers to Christ coming and catching up believers in the air to be with him. First, those who have died, followed by those who are still alive. And 1 Corinthians 15 describes those new glorified bodies that Christ will give us when he comes. See, these weak, perishable bodies that we have now, they're going to be gone. In their place, we will have imperishable, glorious, spiritual bodies that will never die and that will never sin. They will be perfectly suited for praising and serving God forever. I don't know about you, but I can't wait. I want you to turn with me to 1 John 3.2. This verse shows us what happens when Christ returns for us. He says, Beloved, we, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. When Christ a- appears, this verse tells us we will be like Jesus. And it tells us why we'll be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. Wow, just seeing him will cause us to be like him. The resurrection of believers, our resurrection, is something that we need to keep in view. Understanding something about our future, being home with Christ, him coming again and raising us from the dead, giving us glorified bodies, helps us think rightly about our pursuit of godliness now. Look back at 1 John 3 and look at verse 3. Everyone who has this hope fixed on himself, what does it say? Purifies himself just as he is pure. Now why would we do that? Why would we purify ourselves and prepare to meet Jesus? The other verses on the chart tell us that our future hope is why people make it their ambition to please God and why God's people persevere until his return. So why is that? Think about the analogy of a wedding. Why does a bride prepare for her wedding? Is it to earn her groom's affection? No, of course not. A bride prepares for her wedding because of the love that she and her groom already have for each other, right? And because of that love, she anticipates when she will enter into a whole new season of relationship with him. So in much the same way, we need to understand that our obedience and our pursuit of godliness doesn't earn God's favor or forgiveness or right standing. We all know that, right? Any attempt to establish our own righteousness before God will only offend him. That is legalism. Rather, a believer wants to purify herself and please the Lord and persevere because of what Christ has already done in saving her and because of her hope that Christ will appear and one day we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. We will be with him forever and we will be at home with Jesus. So let's summarize some of those key descriptions of glorification. Again, you see them at the bottom of this column. We will once again live in an unmixed condition. Only this is going to be an unmixed condition of the best kind. There will be no fight within We won't need it, right? Because we will live in perfect slavery to God. Perfect righteousness and perfect obedience to Him. There will be no more need to shepherd our hearts away from sin and to God. Because we won't be tempted by sin. We will be home with Jesus. Now how can we have that kind of hope? As believers, why do we have this to look forward to? How could we ever move out of all that we saw on that left-hand column and then have all of this to look forward to? It is all because of one thing. And what is that? Say it! The gospel, right? The gospel is what moves us out of that unregenerate condition and it is what gives us our future hope. And so because of our love for God, for all that he's done in transferring us out of that unmixed condition, that sinful condition, to his work in conversion with his, with our hope fixed on what is to come in glorification, As we now live in this mixed condition, as new creations, we acknowledge our fight within. We battle against sin. We fight for obedience. And how do we do that? Discipline number one. We prayerfully shepherd our heart toward God through the word of God And in particular, the gospel. Do you see why we put that in our disciplines now? Does that give you a better understanding of how we shepherd our hearts with the gospel? We plan, we persevere to be in God's word because we are convinced of how weak we are. Of how much our hearts need to be near him because we know how easily our hearts can become cold toward him. Meeting with him in his word reminds us of how much we must depend on him as we battle sin so that his power is seen in this mixed condition. And then discipline number two, we minister to those in our household with our heart for God and the gospel. We acknowledge that our households are great training ground for others and for us. We remember that we have a profound opportunity to display Christ as we care for those who are closest to us. And we know that that will only be effective if our hearts are full because of the time that we've spent with God in his word and then discipline number 3 with a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling our ministry within our households we step into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel see we treasure what God has done for one another at the at when we were converted when God's converted us and so because of that We rejoice, not only in the evidence that we see in ourselves, but the evidence that we see in one another, in their lives. And so we can encourage them. At the same time, we remember that we are all weak. And so when we see a sister in Christ who is weak, we come alongside her and we help her and we remind one another of the power of the gospel's work in our hearts and we remember that one day Jesus will come and so we must ladies we must keep our hope fixed on him and purify ourselves just as he is pure let's pray Father we thank you we thank you because we know that at one time we were dead in our sins we were without hope and because of your great love you rescued us from the domain of darkness and you transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son in whom we have forgiveness of sins and that you and your perfect plan have placed us in this mixed condition with strengths and with weaknesses so that we depend on you so that we learn how to fight against sin so that you can display the surpassing greatness of your power. And Father, thank you that we know that one day we will be with you. We will be perfectly suited for praising you for serving you for eternity. Until that day, Father, I pray that we will participate in our sanctification, that we will be diligent to shepherd our hearts through your word, and that we will recognize all that you have provided for us in the gospel, that we would never be lazy or think that we can't sin that we can't say no to sin, but that we would remember all that you have provided and that that would spur us on to be obedient and to love one another in good works. And so we thank you for what you have done in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.